John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1227.PR2027, certificate number 42453, the Saint-Martin fistula. Because I put myself out there every day. You know, I write online profiles and I check the boxes that say I like hiking and dogs. Is there a box I for fistulas? Because that's what I want. A guy that can talk fistulas. Saint-Martin. 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 He's French-Canadian. Saint-Martin. So his fistula is the Saint-Martin fistula. The Saint-Martin fistula. Fistula. It does sound like a, a good word to say in French. Fistula. Like you're the chef from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, right. It's something you could say in a kind of angry, contemptuous way. Do you know what a fistula is? It looks like you would say it in a Transylvanian accent, right? Fistula. Count Fistula. It's like Blackula, but he's not black. He's just a fist. A fistula is some kind of some kind of passageway? Yeah, essentially. It's when... It's an organic passageway. Yeah, it's when two organs in the body, you know, two passageways in the body, whether that's digestive alimentary or whether it's two blood vessels, uh connect in some way they're not supposed to. Or they, they merge or morph or something. Yeah, like does a, a, little, have, a little shortcut. Let's think of it that way. It is biological, but does it? it's not just um, contained to human bodies, right? You can have a fistula in between like, something like, in like plants. Like between roads? Oh, I see. A fistula in a plant. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it is all bi always biological. It's not like, yeah, a fistula within a cave system. Right, it has to be biological. <laughs> but it can happen in plants, and it's not just in bodies. Like if you, if you make a shortcut in your hedge maze, that's not a fistula. <clears throat> what if you put a bustle in your hedgerow? <clears throat> Should I be alarmed? I know you've got a big hedge maze out back, <laughs> like the one in The Shining. Uh, the... I'm killing Jack Nicholson's out there all winter long. <laughs> they just keep popping up. A little, a little Jack Nicholson head pops up out of your lawn like a gopher and says, Here's Johnny. <laughs> they're, they're like stink bugs. They got introduced somehow into my yard, and now I'm just fighting Jack Nicholson. The invasive the Nicholson. Yeah, you know, the, the Mississippi River used to keep him out of the West, but... Uh... Yeah, ever since they built those bridges, Nicholson's, <laughs> Nicholson's everywhere. Well, and it's Nicholson's all the way down, too. Yeah, they just, they, 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 now that they can fly over the cuckoo nests, they can just get anywhere. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, fistula is usually biological. Um, it's usually some kind of trauma, whether an injury 
or a surgery. Mm. Um, like anytime somebody needs dialysis, you know, you're essentially creating, you know, a, a place where deoxygenated blood and oxygenated blood merges. Like you're adding a second external heart to your oh, body essentially. Yeah, sure. So to do that, you've got to add a new nexus between an artery and a vein. And so that's what they do. They just go through a wall. But um, if you get dialysis, is it ever a case where a fistula is created that then that doesn't close? Oh, no, I, I guess it wouldn't be because the, the needle going in is both the entrance and the exit. It's just creating another loop. Yes. I guess the fistula would be in the dialysis. Yeah. But if you, if you, but it wouldn't stay open once you took the dialysis needle out. A fistula is sure, something just like that when stays you, open. When you donate blood, you don't, the hole doesn't stay there forever. Right. Um, You're not taking oxygen in then from that hole just as you walk around. A lot of the times their um, fistulas are excretory or gynecological in nature. Oh, I see. Or both. Down which, in your lower regions. Which you don't want to, it's a, I guess it's a common trauma of childbirth is that the birth canal gets a little window it doesn't want. And the result is incontinence because urine and feces can then get into the same channel reproductive parts, which is probably, unless you're into that, you know, it's, it, it's a huge health problem. Yeah. And this, this is something, I mean, we are getting deep into the uh, gross out weeds. I hope no, none of the futurelings are busy eating, you know, their handfuls of bugs or whatever it is that people in the future or things in the future consume. My sister was eating rice pudding during the floating feet episode and she still has not forgiven you for that. You know, I've, I've always felt like it's a, it's received wisdom that you do not eat during a podcast because anything can it, happen in a podcast. Well, I, I feel like it's respect. It's a, it's a matter of respect. Oh, I see. Sure. Don't, you, don't sit there eating. Like when they cut to the audience in the Oscars, like nobody's got a corn dog. Right. Yeah. Well, your, your, your mastication is drowning out our. Our sibilants. That's right. Like we worked hard on not having a big <laughs> <laughs> noise in the back. Like you have to turn a lot of dials to get rid of that. Yeah. And yet you're just putting it right back in. Well, I'm eating peanut butter sandwiches even right now, but you can't tell because our, our engineers are so talented. This would be the episode to eat like a big, <laughs> just to, for us to just be eating Eggo waffles all the way through. But it is true that your intestines, your intestines can develop ruptures or fissures that then your gut will fill up with material that isn't meant to be there. Right. And in this case, the skin is epithelial tissue as well. The skin is an organ. Yep. So this is a story about a fistula that opened between the digestive system and the exterior world. It's a, it's a little, a little window. Really? It's the story of Alexi Saint-Martin who was, uh, he's, by the way, he's the second entry in the omnibus to be named after a deceased sibling. Hmm. You may recall paleontologist Mary Anning. Oh, right. Mary I, Anning. I know you were about to say that. Yeah. Mary Anning, whose uh, his elder sister was Mary Anning. Right. This is a case where Alexis Saint-Martin from 40 miles north of Montreal, his older brother, Alexis Saint-Martin, I think who was eight, died just months before he was born. And he was the replacement model. It seems, it seems weird for a parent to do that, but I do have two sisters named Susan. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, but that's not a replacement issue. No, they're both still alive. In fact, one of them is not the, the cloned spare parts for your sister, Susan, whom I met and who is lovely. <laughs> no, I haven't. And you haven't met my other sister, Susan, but one day you will. 
it's not a case, right, where the second child is burdened for the rest of its life trying to shoulder the, their their dead elder sibling whom they never met. There's a story about, do you want to talk about, uh, is your is it a combined family or step family situation? No, no, no. They are all biological uh, relatives. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on another episode of the Omnibus, somewhere <laughs> down the line. It's implausible that one person would have two sisters named Susan, but not impossible. You can see how you opened up a little conversational fistula there. It is a I, conversational fistula. That I might want to <laughs> explore with my... With my uh, probing speculum of, of inquisitiveness. Yeah, my my family dynamic is now exposed to the air, and, <laughs> uh, and you are the doctor. Well, you're talking about replacement children. I was reading this. Uh, there's a story about Robert Benchley where his brother died in the Spanish-American War, and his mom was got the telegram at a big uh, summer Fourth of July picnic in, in Worcester, Massachusetts, where they lived. And with her eight-year-old son, Robert Benchley, at her side, she screams out, oh, why couldn't it have been Robert? <laughs> <laughs> and he spent his whole life dealing with that, as you might imagine. Yeah. Not well, always successfully. Why couldn't it? Instead of saying, why couldn't it have been me? Why couldn't <laughs> right. it have been Robert? That's how you know a really great mother is the one who says, why couldn't it have been the other garbage child? Right. <laughs> Spare organs. I was keeping him around so that. You know, in case uh, his older brother got hurt in the Spanish-American War. He would could, have some organs. Yeah, he would have yeah. a kidney or whatever. Uh, Alexis Saint-Martin was a voyageur. Right, which is a Canadian fur trapper. Yeah, it sounds very glamorous. You know, oh, you're a voyageur. You're like a minivan or a, or a NASA space probe. A, um, uh, a, a forest, forest runner. Yeah, well, there were actually... So a, a voyageur was a little different than... You know, we think of that as the ultimate kind of you know, frontiersman, backwoodsman type. Right. And by the way, I got dinged on my, I was recording an audio book yesterday for my comedy book now and say, and I said frontier uh, and I got, shut, ah, I got ah, shut down. Can frontier. Please, please say frontier. I, uh, I looked it up and they're both right, by the way. So I'm still a little annoyed. You're, uh, you, this podcast is wearing off on you. My, my, uh, spoonerisms are starting to get inside your head. This is our big chance to make sure everyone in the future says frontier. Frontier. Like I do, which is apparently weird. Frontier. Does Captain Kirk say it? Does he say space? The, the final, final frontier. He, no, I don't think he so. He does say frontier. frontier. The final frontier. Uh, I do. I, I mean, I often say, uh, Sasquatch because I grew up, you were raised by, um, native American, you were raised <laughs> by the Salish Indians. I, I grew up believing in Sasquatches and that they were all around. <laughs> like that was a big part of your family culture. Well, every Christmas Sasquatch is going to come down the chimney. When I was a little kid, we lived up in shoreline here in Washington, very close to where you grew up mm -hmm. and Lake Forest Park, which then was a less developed suburb more than it forest, is now. less park, more forest. Uh, somehow I got it into my head that uh, Lake Forest Park was full of Sasquatches. That's still true. If you go to third place <laughs> books up there, like the self-help aisle is full of unhappy Sasquatch. So anytime at night that we were driving through Lake Forest Park, I could hear Leonard Nimoy, uh, <laughs> you know, recording the like eerie shrieking of distant Sasquatches. I think it's funny that I don't say frontier the uh, Shatner way, but maybe you do say Sasquatch the, the Nimoy way. The Sa Sasquatch. Well, people yell at me all the time. It's Sasquatch. And I'm like, what an ungainly pronunciation of this beautiful creature, this uh, cryptozoological uh, 
man beast ape. You shouldn't have to put up with their sass. Sasquatch. Or possibly or their, their sauce. Their sauce. <laughs> their I, marinara sauce. People are constantly giving me extra sauce that I do not want. The, uh, uh, but, uh, but Voyageurs, you know, I went to Outward Bound in the uh, early 1980s and in Minnesota, and our Outward Bound group was changed, the name was changed to the Voyageurs uh, while I was, I think the year I was there. What, do you remember what it would have been before? Oh, it was just like Minnesota Outward Bound. And then they decided that the Outward Bounds were getting more regional specific names. Needed a little flavor. But the Voyageurs were famous, unlike uh, the Frontiersmen of America, they were famous for uh, much more intimate interactions with the First Nations people. They were, you know, they learned the language. They it intermarried in some cases. Canada really nailed uh, First Nations. Uh, that's the coolest possible name for your coolest. indigenous population. Coolest. Whereas we're still kind of arguing between like Indians, native, which is awful, and Native Americans. Native Americans. It just feels like First Nations is where where it's at. That's like. Battlestar Galactica people. Yeah. Let's, let's go find the world of the First Nations. Well, and it credits them with having a, like a, uh, indigenous nationhood. They were first. Yeah. Like, you know, native just means you were born here, but first that's like, you guys are it. Nobody well, before you. And it does. Yeah. It does communicate that they are also, uh, immigrants, just ones from centuries before millennia before. I feel like it's more explicit about conveying the kind of birthright they have right that maybe every literally every other canadian does not first Inclu nations including alexis saint martin who's who was actually his he his grandfather had lived in french canada he was not an oh an immigrant himself he so, was from so, old school new canada stock so his grandfather had been one of the early tree walkers and the voyageurs were more employees, right? Of right. The... So that's the thing. The name sounds very romantic, like they're Kit Carson or whatever. And there is all this mystique then and now in Canada about the, the deeds and the exploits of these brave voyageurs. But in fact, they were not lone free agents. Those would be the coureurs de bois. Ah, uh, coureurs de bois. So they are forest. Uh, I had that right. Yes. Literally runners of the woods. Runners of the woods. I guess Blanche Dubois is a uh, is just a blanch, blanch of, the, of woods, the woods, a white of the woods, <laughs> blanched <laughs> vegetables of the woods. Um, but the, the voyagers were employees. They worked mm. for the fur companies mm -hmm. and they did the grunt work. They were essentially the Sherpas of the great North woods. You know, they had to carry canoes over, uh, portages. Do we say portage or portage? In this case, I think portage. You can't go wrong with the French pronunciation when you're talking about these. We talk about these burly yeah. Quebecois men. We said during Outward Bound, frankly, we said portage. We're going to portage the canoes from lake to lake. But I think probably now they would say portage. John, voyagers portage. Yeah. Voyageurs. Uh, they portage. Portage. Yeah. And maybe there were voyageuses as well. Were there female uh, voyageurs? I am not going to go on the record saying either way. I would love to imagine that there were uh, brave voyageuses. Voyageuses. That's kind of hard to say. Voyageuses. So they had to, you know, these guys had to carry big 90 pound loads of fur, sometimes multiple at a time, you know, two or three or four of these 90 pound loads of beaver fur over seven mile portages. Look, who hasn't carried 90 pounds of fur? <laughs> I mean, I'm carrying it right now. Every time you stand up. <laughs> the, uh, because it was beaver fur. That was the, right. that was what had, that was the game changer in Europe. Um, 
they were getting links and Martin and Fox and what all of what we we would think of as more beautiful, luxurious furs. But Europe just had this insatiable appetite for beaver furs. Well, because you could felt beaver fur. Yes, it's feltable. Yeah. And I don't can, even know what that means. <clears throat> well, a lot of the fedoras, um, like the the beautiful hats of the right. 19th and Men's top 20th hats. And a lot of them were, I think top hats even were just beaver. Well, but I think a lot of, even now, uh, there's a hat sitting right there. In fact, over your shoulder here all, in our studio. All of the listeners just turned their heads. <laughs> Say what? And there's just this floating hat behind them the, in a glow. The hat is coming from inside the house. <laughs> uh, but it's felted beaver fur, and, and I'm not 100% sure um, the process. Yeah, I was looking into the process, and the problem is you have to keep seeing the phrase, the underhairs of the beaver. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just, I just, I couldn't do paragraphs and paragraphs of that. Right. Without making like beavers and butthead. <laughs> chortles so i had to stop uh but yeah it decimated beaver populations because it was uh it was these massive fur companies john jacob astor became the richest man in america right by just killing hundreds of millions of beavers and making hats and a lot of it was fashion i mean this didn't end until silk became the fashionable thing to make hats of and that was what saved the beaver but by then it was too late you know many indian tribes had starved and gone through terrible deprivations because all along the St. Lawrence, their their beaver hunting was just killed off by John Jacob Astor's insatiable hunger for beaver. Well, now they starved. Are you suggesting that they ate beaver? Yes. Well, I think a lot of them. I think you could eat beaver, and I think the economy was based. Their economy was based on the beaver furs they traded as right. well. Right. So it wasn't that it wasn't that John Jacob Astor was uh, pulling beaver <laughs> hunks of beaver meat out right. of a hungry. It was just that the Canadians established beaver as a. Uh, a form of currency. Yeah, until and, until like the 1990s, I think. Like you go, the, you go to Canada. <laughs> but the First Nations people then became connected to this capitalist exchange, and then the beaver died out, and all of a sudden they were then sort of economically stranded. Yeah. Do you remember when the loonies and toonies first came out in Canada, and people were just like, oh, what's this? I don't have to buy my groceries with, with beaver furs anymore? <laughs> like, sir, it's 1992. You know, in, in Anchorage, uh, every year there is a fur rendezvous still where all the trappers come in throughout fur Alaska. Rendezvous? It's called fur rendezvous. It's the biggest festival of the year. Is it in all Alaska. one word? Fur rendezvous. No, they call it fur rondi. <laughs> uh, and all the trappers come in and there's an enormous fur auction and people are selling and buying furs and, and these guys that trap, it's kind of the, they're like farmers. They make all their money in one event. All year long, they save up these pelts, and then they take they bring them all into town and and sell them all at once. But it's a hard life. It's an awful life. They uh, unless you're like unless you dig it. Unless you're John Jacob Astor, and you can. You well, have, he, I don't think he ever left New York. He uh, well, he must have because he died on the Titanic. He shouldn't have left oh, New York. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> all all those freezing Indians finally got revenge when John Jacob Astor froze to death in the North Atlantic, and. Uh, Alexis Saint-Martin was one of the lowest uh, kind of voyager. He was a mangeur de lard, a pork eater, literally, mm-hmm. which I guess is the lowest class of grunt in the voyager community. And uh, we know little about him before the day that changed his life, June 6th, 1822, when he was on Mackinac Island, mm-hmm. which uh, had been British territory. Uh, it was taken during the War of 1812, handed back by the Treaty of Ghent. So it's now an American fort. But he's there at the company store, I guess, getting supplies for his latest 
voyage fantastique mm -hmm. into the woods mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, something terrible happens to him. Mackinac, have you ever been to Mackinac Island, by no. the way? It's, it's in Lake Huron. No, I've never now been. it's a beautiful resort. I've never been there either, but I've seen the movie Somewhere in Time, which makes it look like this delightful uh, Edwardian getaway. Uh, but that back then it was just a rough and tumble fort military garrison. Sure. Like everything. I mean, back in, back in time, Indianapolis, Indiana was a frontier town. Right. Did it still have the beautiful wide tree lined boulevards or is that some later no, utopian that, vision? That came later. I think it was just a bunch of mud, uh, holes in the ground while they were all fighting Tecumseh. And it's kind of going to turn back into that, right? All, the, all, <laughs> all those Midwestern towns are, are returning to their natural state. Well, yeah, they're, no, they I'm keep... just kidding. Indianapolis is lovely. It's a beautiful city. Um, you know, Indiana does keep voting for regressive politics and little by little, I think, I think it probably will return to the soil. I like how we're, we're covering our butts just in case Indianapolis is the capital of the United Federation of Planets in the future. Right. And I mean, all, it's all literally called are... Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I guess what? City it could of, be, it could be called Indians. First, First Nation Annapolis. Uh, that's true. I guess that's one advantage we have is we, you know, we can call a place Indiana. You can't, you know. Right. First Nation-iana is a little unwieldy. Aye. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Uh, but that day at the fort, Alexis Samartan is buying his whatever you would buy, hardtack, hardtack and... and uh, Beads. Cider. Beads? Yeah. Do you uh, need beads? Well, you gotta, you gotta give the First Nations people something for the beavers, right? I mean, what would it be? Bullets? Blankets? Um, you gotta trade. You're not, they're not just pulling beavers out for nothing. I guess that's right. Yeah, maybe he's buying trade goods. Yeah. Anyway, somebody is testing out a shotgun in the store. No. You know, the kind of thing that happens at, at Red State Walmarts to this day. Sure. I thought that this was something only Dick Cheney did. Somebody <laughs> accidentally shot him with a gun in a store? In the store. Clean up on aisle six. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, th from three feet away, somebody just lets loose oh. with a, 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 a shotgun full of duck shot. Oh. Grape shot? I, I, I don't, what would it have been? A, so everything. Buck shot. What's the difference between buckshot and grape? Is grape shot really the size of like a table grape? Those would be huge. Grape shot is just like scrap metal and garbage oh. parts. Why that, is it called grape shot? Because uh, it's like, it's a bunch of them, like a oh, bunch a of grapes. Bunch. I assume they would be the size of grapes. No, it's very, grape shot is very irregular and it's put into cannons to like shoot at ships and stuff. It's, it's like, um... Well, and it's also, I guess, anti-personnel. Like as, as armies get closer and closer to your cannons, you can't really 
shoot, shoot cannonballs. cannonballs so you just throw a bunch of garbage in there and it just shoots shrapnel at people. You know, when I when I don't eat enough grapes, I'm also very irregular. Hmm. Mm, thanks. So I, I know how that feels. I hope your I hope our listeners are still not eating. <laughs> they're putting down. They're they're putting down. Their, a, we should have a, a trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> like you should not be eating or ingesting through your tentacles or whatever mm. you do. Like anything through any part of this episode. It may be that futurelings eat humans. They may be listening to this podcast, and it may be inspiring some portion it's, of them it's to appetizing. They may be well that, or they might be uh, some of them are becoming are, vegetarians. Are becoming vegetarians. <laughs> They're like, listen, these these grubs that we eat actually like think and and read and stuff. The first like time we mentioned a a vagino whatever fistula, they're like, nope, I'm going. I'm just going to eat hedge mazes from now on. It's all hedgerows from now on. So the wadding and the, the uh, what did you say, buckshot just flies into him, his uh, his torso from three feet away. Ugh. And bits of his shirt fly in there. Whoa. His shirt catches on fire. Oy. So everyone thinks he's a goner. They run for the, the medical guy at the garrison, who is one William Beaumont. He runs up, and this is, he doesn't know it yet, but this is the meeting that will change his life. A gut shot, a gut wound like this is considered one of the most painful injuries you can sustain. Right. Like in the civil war, people would just hope to get shot in the heart or yeah, the head, not in the gut. Cause it would be such a slow, and, ugly ugh. death. Cause it, and it would get infected. Right. Infection was everywhere back then. Not like today on Mackinac Island, which is beautiful. Well, they have penicillin on Mackinac Island now. They also have a silent C. It's not Mackinac. Right. Mackinac. It's like, uh, well, there's a jacket called the Mackinac. And you named say, after the island must be. And you don't say a Mackinac jacket? You don't. Do you say a Mackinac jot? Does it make all the seas retroactively silent? <laughs> There's got to be other words with a silent C. Oh, indict. Indict has a silent C. Well, I guess, a, yeah, I guess indict does have a silent C. I like how you really can tell this is a conversational dead end and not a fistula. <laughs> yes, let me... Let me repeat the thing you said. Uh, silent seas. I'm. I'm just. A, but my mind is now occupied trying to like track down all the silent seas, and uh, definitely, uh, if you're going to email or at us at Twitter about all the words that you know that have silent seas, just just at Ken. I don't need to. I don't need. To <laughs> I'll make that. sure to copy John, <laughs> or possibly oppy him. Uh, and so William Beaumont was summoned. He immediately, as you say, thinks this is fatal. He, he does not think that, uh, San Martin is going to last 20 minutes. Right. As he wrote, uh, his description was, uh, that he wrote down was this of the wound, a portion of the lungs as large as a turkey's egg protruded through the external wound, lacerated and burnt, which you don't want. And below this, a portion of the stomach, which at first you, I could not believe possible to be that organ in that situation with the subject surviving. Uh, the reason why I said that is because there was a puncture in the protruding portion large enough to receive my forefinger. Uh, Clearly implied that the first thing he did was just jab just his finger. Just his finger in there. The, as was the style. Sure, the that was medicine. <laughs> and through which a portion of his food that he had taken for breakfast had come out and lodged among his apparel. So he could literally see the bread and bacon that San Martin had eaten earlier spilling out of the wound, and he had never seen anything like this. This is a terrible story. In this dilemma, I considered my attempt to save his life entirely useless. It is a terrible story. But, shockingly, Samartan does not die. Does Beaumont provide him medical 
service? Yeah, Beaumont does what he can to, you know, stanch the bleeding and I guess get the turkey egg of lung back where it belongs and Mm -hmm. push the stomach back in through the perforation. But the guy can't keep food down. He doesn't die, but for 17 days, everything they feed him just comes out the hole. Whoa. (laughs) Like it immediately reappears. Whoa. So uh, in Beaumont's notes, he notes that he can only keep the guy alive through nutritional enemas. Which doesn't even seem possible to me. Can well, you just spray grape nuts into somebody's nether regions if they can't keep their breakfast down? You're obviously not a member of the uh, new age adjacent rock and roll culture that I occupy because at a certain point. Is this what's going on backstage? Just uh, not backstage. But nutritional a, enemas uh, a in the green point, room? As, as entertainment business people arrive in middle age and cannot believe that they too will age and die. Look, and it probably happens early considering what a lot of them have done to themselves. That's right. They immediately switch over from, and sometimes the, sometimes the periods overlap where they're still taking drugs, <laughs> but also pursuing a health regimen. You've um, got two hands. You can shoot right. up and give yourself a nutritional enema at the same time. But most of the time there's a transition in their fascination with uh, being high and they go to uh, health, what would you call them? resorts slash retreats where they take enemas. Uh, you're not using this as one example. You're, you're basically telling our listeners that every rock star has an enema phase. I know. Like some of, no, nobody does crystals or oh, juice yeah. cleanses. Oh, there's, there's crystals and juice cleanses included. But I know at least six people, including an ex-girlfriend who routinely go sequester themselves in Sedona, Arizona, or up in the mountains of New Mexico or Northern California and receive wheatgrass juice enemas and like on the reg, like every day or I don't know, multiple times a day. And they sleep under uh, uh, pyramids made out of copper and it's all meant, they all are. Well, you got to do that. Uh, they, at one point they maintain a kind of generation X irony about everything they do. Like, oh yeah, well, it's just a thing I'm going to do, but it's expensive and also invasive and also kooky wawa so that they have to be taking it seriously at the same time. Well, I always assumed that nutty fattest getting enemas where it was some kind of a cleanse, but you're implying that the body can absorb wheatgrass yeah. through the rectum. Absolutely it can. I mean, if, yes. you, if you were just cleansing your body, you would just use just, uh, castor oil or water, but no. Just one of those fancy Japanese toilets that sprays you up there. They'll do, they'll do coffee, which is, I guess, extraordinary. That'll wake you right up, yeah, I bet. It will. But wheatgrass juice, you just absorb it because your, uh, your, your intestine is... Like it's meant to be absorbing nutrients through the. Oh, I guess that's true. Through the. Yeah, there are. It's processing your your intake into feces by by taking all the good stuff. I mean, out. most of that's in the small intestine. The large intestine is mostly water, but apparently some some ability to get nutrients if you go and ask for a grande frappuccino up there. Well, I mean, I have not entered that stage of my post rock stardom where I've just lost all grip. And I'm taking retreats where you haven't would, entered that stage, and that stage hasn't entered you. It ha- that's right. Nobody's ever put like a succession of tootsie rolls up me as a part of my transition. No, it, more recreationally, not not nutritionally. Yeah, sure. That was stuff we did at parties, but not a thing. Is this I, why he was buying beads at the fort? No. Oh, that kind of beads. No, no probably not. No, 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 no. He was buying them to trade, not to. Although. <laughs> 
Long, Honestly, long lonely nights out you, there. When you're a voyageur and you're out in the forest, you're running. You're a forest runner. Sometimes it's a voyage of discovery, <laughs> personal discovery. <laughs> so he was, but he could not keep food down. So he was, he was only getting nutrient through wheatgrass enemas, like uh, right, like he's Keith Richards or something. But the, at what point is he able to start? Well, I, I'm presuming because we're talking about him that he survived this wound. Nope, he died. Then that's the end of the story. <laughs> Listeners, from our point in your distant past, social media may not even exist. No, that is not the end of the story. Uh, after 17 days, his digestive cycle started, but what shocked Dr. Beaumont was that the fistula remained. What shocked Dr. Beaumont is one of my favorite softcore porn <laughs> novels. It's like one of those Victoria things where you go to the, the pier in Brighton and you look through to these naughty shenanigans. What shocked Dr. Beaumont? He wrote, by the adhesion of the sides of the protruded portion of the stomach to the pleura costalis uh, and the external wound, a free exit was afforded to its contents and thereby a fusion into the abdominal cavity prevented. So food no longer stopped leaking uh, through the pleura into the into the the interior of the body um, because the skin knitted directly to the stomach. The stomach wow. became more firmly attached to the pleura and intercostals by its external coat, but showed not the least disposition to close its orifice by granulations, which terminated as if at a natural boundary and left the perforation resembling in all but a sphincter, the natural anus with a slight prolapsus. Why would the body do that? The body just knows how to make an anus, I guess. It's, it's deep within our DNA. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a weird thing gone awry, I guess. I, I assume our, our genes are not designed. I mean, things have to knit back together. Right. But in this case, he got a new second anus right below his left nipple. So the skin being intrepid in all manner. Great at healing over or else we die. Found itself touching the stomach and said, sure, why not? And just did its, and did its knitting just, magic. That's right. Whoa. And so the next year, uh, Beaumont actually took Saint Martin with him back home when he was transferred to a different post. He brought him with him, you know, writing and telling people that he was doing this through mere motives of charity. Yeah. But their relationship became very problematic from this time forth because it essentially became kind of a master and servant thing where he brought Saint Martin with him back home. You know, he would do menial chores around the house. He would chop wood and clear brush and whatnot. And all the time, Beaumont is telling him, I'm going to try to sew up your, your new second left nipple anus now that you've got. I'm sure that's what he called it. Mm -hmm. uh, second left nipple anus. Never, that implies that he has more than one left nipple anus. It's the, not. Uh, the second left nipple anus is a minor planet that <laughs> for a little while was vying to be considered one of the, one of the nine planets. We're back to all the, the pulp sci-fi stuff from the Angels <laughs> of Mons. Uh, this is an example of how the early 19th century had very different rules about indentured servitude than we have now. Now it's prohibited. Then yeah, you if, could just save a guy's life and say, get to chopping. And uh, Saint Martin was very grateful and eager to help this guy out who, sure. had, who had gone to such great lengths to save his life. He had a fatal wound, fatal in every other instance. And here he is just, he just has a front anus. <laughs> but but uh, alive. And I'm not sure how aware he was that Dr. Beaumont looked at the bread and bacon spilling out of this guy's hole and immediately saw, if you'll pardon the expression, 
his meal ticket. Mm, that's Be- terrible. Because here- that's an example of one of the things that you say that then people write us and say, Ken is so funny. And I go, yeah, he's okay. He's funny, I guess. Yeah, just so you know, if anyone ever contacts us across the millennia to say that I'm the funny one, like it just ruins John's entire oh, week. All day long, the bread and bacon just spills out of me in <laughs> rage. Look at all the oh. smashed guitars on the floor of this room. You just throw these puns out all day long, and I just I feel like you're, you're the... Is that really a pun? No, but it's, that's typical of you. I was pun. just going to say it was his meal ticket. And then I realized like he was literally looking at the dude's meal. Yeah. You know, I, I, no, I got the joke. That's I'm, not, it's not my fault though. Like I don't have a piece of paper here that says <laughs> say meal ticket. <laughs> um, so here he has this now captive medical experiment. Captive Quebecois. That he's also using as a servant while whilst also experimenting on him? Yes. What are his experiments? He later prints a book with 240 different experiments he's done <laughs> on, <laughs> on poor Alexi oh. uh, to study human digestion. And to this day, we call Dr. William Beaumont the father of gastric physiology because he had a front row seat. Sure. So he would, for example, dip different foods in there and watch them get digested and compare the rates. And then pull the the half digested food out with us yeah. and he had a, he was watching his clock and this was very uncomfortable he noted that this was visibly uncomfortable to Alexei Saint-Martin every time he'd stick a little sack into his into Ooh, his yeah, left nipple yeah, anus yes yeah, Saint-Martin is being used as a fondue pot he's a <laughs> <laughs> this was actually the origin of fondue it's not s- french swiss it's french canadian he has a, he has a little he has a little fork and he sticks some <laughs> Bread in there. And you sit around and talk about Weisswaffing for a few minutes. <laughs> and then you pull it out and see what happened to the <laughs> to the little piece of a potato or whatever. He would sometimes, like he was very interested in how body temperature affected digestion. So he would often, he would often pull out, uh, well, he would also remove gastric acid with a tube, mm-hmm. with a rubber tube. So he could make his own little test tubes of gastric acid and then do his own external things. Mm-hmm. So he could be like, hey, Alexi, why don't you go? polish the silver. (laughs) Uh I've got a substitute stomach for you here. But he wanted to see how body temperature affected this. So often he would remove gastric acid from Samartan's stomach, put it into some little vial, start his experiment, and then he would have Samartan insert it into his armpit. Luckily, Uh there are worse places, I guess he could insert it. Uh And he would just be like, hey, could you keep that there for an hour or for three hours like or, or in some cases tube? for 24 hours. Yeah. Could you also be my lab body temperature like heater? Bunsen burner? Why didn't he just <laughs> put it over a fire? I guess he wanted the exact human body temperature oh. and he's not going to do it himself. I mean, there's that's a, an external body temperature. That's not the same as a. Yeah. I don't know. Is your stomach 98.6 degrees right now? I don't know either. I guess I assumed mine was. Is your arm- it depends on if I've just eaten a snow cone. Your armpit and your stomach are the same temperature? I mean, I... Maybe I not guess. exactly. This is the kind of thing he would, he would be able to find out. You and I right. are just sitting wondering, hey, what temperature is my stomach right now? But only Dr. William Beaumont in the world can stick in his finger. Wow. And there's a class issue going on here. Uh, Sam Martin is a poor, illiterate man. He's... French Canadian, which I'm sure registers as a, as a phrenological racial difference in Beaumont's advanced Caucasian mind, he would think. Sure. Now, where is this all taking place? Uh, he moves around, um, upstate New York, Vermont. He's moving around the Northern United States from post to post. 
Oh, so he continues. He he doesn't just become the father of gastroenterology and then sets up shop, but he's also still working as a doctor. He's still working for the military. And in fact, oh. he, <laughs> he uh, arranges for Saint Martin to become some kind of... Uh, Valet. Yeah, some kind of military, not adjutant, but some kind of secondary military status so that he gets a stipend and whatnot. And it seems like he's doing him a solid, but really he just doesn't want to have to pay for Alexi's room and board. Right. So he arranges for the U.S. Army to do it. And wow. at some point, Saint Martin starts to get fed up with this. I mean, at some point he must be realizing that it's not in Beaumont's interest to sew him up. Right. It doesn't seem like over the course of several years, if Beaumont was saying, I'm definitely going to sew up this hole. I just need to stick three more uh, <laughs> just... forks of cheesy bread. <laughs> so, so once the fondue pot is empty. Yeah. Then Saint Martin must, yeah, eventually start to get wise. At some part, he must catch on. I guess it reminds me of uh, the Fantastic Four comics I would read as a kid where Reed Richards would constantly be telling his, fr his best friend, Ben Grimm, that he can turn him from the Rocky Orange thing back into a normal man. I promise I'm going to do this. But at the same time, the thing keeps saving his butt by beating up Dr. Doom or whoever. Uh -huh. So he's, Reed Richards is not, self, is not motivated to turn Ben Grimm back into a normal human. Well, I'm really sorry that the Fantastic Four never really appealed to me as a comic book reader in the 1970s. And so the only time I really read that comic was when I got a copy at a birthday party or something, kind of like against my will. <laughs> so I'm giving you bad memories of like... <clears throat> the boring comics you had to read. Yeah. It's just like the silver surfer or whatever. That stuff was just way too outre for me. I was, you're a more meat and potatoes, man. I was reading not unlike mad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You preferred the funny comics. Yeah. I Cause these, wanna... these silver surfer kind of things were very ponderous kind of Stanley yeah, cosmic moralizing. Yeah. Cosmic moralizing. That's exactly what I was not in for in 1977. But you know, now that you're a, an aging rock star, you're going to go live under the Copper Pyramid and read Silver Surfer comics in, in Taos. Maybe I should do. <laughs> Maybe that's what's missing from my life. <laughs> so anyway, Reed Richards, you know, you, we think of him as a hero, but really he's a mad scientist because he's not... He's, he won't sew up the thing. He won't sew up the thing. And this is the same thing where uh, at some point, I mean, it's not the same the thing, but yeah, it's right. the same situation where Sam Martin must wonder, hey, there's no record of unsuccessful experiments to sew up the fistula, which at least, you know, there's, I can think of a dozen cases where Reed Richards tried to fix Ben Grimm. Mm. We don't even know if Beaumont tried that much because this is his, you know, ticket to fame and fortune. So was it, do you know, was it uncomfortable for Saint Martin when uh, Beaumont wasn't sticking his finger in there? I mean, if he was just walking around, did it cause him any discomfort? No, I don't think so. Uh, it was fully healed. Um, he would still have to be careful when he ate because food would, could still spill out. Hmm. Um, but there was no physical discomfort. He just, he was homesick. He did not want to live well, on he, some army garrison in Vermont with some guy prodding at his left nipple anus. He wanted to go back to, to Quebec and, uh, and meet a nice uh, lady that didn't feel like this was a, this was a deal breaker for her. That's exactly right. And that's what he did. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start a few years later he just skipped out without warning and went home for left a few in the years. night left in the night took his uh, nipple with him required no special care yeah, uh, he didn't need Dr. Beaumont anymore, but Dr. Beaumont really needed him. So he was gone for years. By the time Beaumont catches up with him, he is now married to Marie. I'm sure some sturdy French-Canadian voyageuse for this, for whom this was not a deal breaker. Right. And has six kids. Whoa! Good and, job, Saint-Martin! <laughs> and uh, Beaumont agrees to bring them all with him. So suddenly he's got a French-Canadian family of eight. Well, now, agrees to who? Well, I mean, it sounds like Saint Martin had no interest in. How, how did he get recaptured along with his six kids? He, he talked him into it, and there was oh. a deal of here's what you're going to get paid, and here's how I, I will agree to take your family. But Beaumont was not happy about any of this. Hmm. Um, Saint Martin was constantly pushing for him to, you know, provide better for his family or to uh, give Marie work, and he was very resistant to put down the cash, hmm. and. As a result, Saint Martin ran away again in 1831, and th- we have records, we have letters where Beaumont stews to friends about Saint Martin's villainous obstinacy and ugliness. You know, he could not imagine that his human guinea pig would not just want to stick around, living the good life, having him jab his fingers into him. So obstinate. Morning, noon, and night. Yeah, I feel like maybe we're all obstinate to that degree. <laughs> That's kind of a funny example of racism, you know, like he didn't want me to stick his fingers in them. Oh, those, those stupid, stubborn uh, French Canadians. Can French you, Canadians. Can you imagine? You know, the, uh, the issue of, uh, racism against French Canadians is really a big deal to French Canadians. Well, you can imagine. Like but no they, one else in the world even, even recognizes it or, or even understands that it exists. Well, I get it because they're the biggest minority group in their country, a country that otherwise is entirely Anglo culture. But if, but they're, they're an enormous portion of sure. it. And also my experience in, in traveling through French Canada is that they feel the same way about the French. They are culturally very different from the French and, and even linguistically, like it's very hard for a French person, I think, to understand a Quebecois accent and vice versa. And that they're resentful toward the French in equal measure to their resentment to their fellow Canadians and English speakers and I think everyone. So you're just saying they are uh, villainously obstinate they and are, ugly. They are extremely... Uh, they're, uh, they're a proud people. Let's say that in case they're listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think they are proud people. I find them uh, very, very interesting and... Um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to suggest that they are just an, a, a, a like a science experiment. We but. we get in trouble when we joke about the Belgians and the Dutch, and I assume we're now going to hear from French Canadians as well. So nice work. Yeah, and I mean, you know, their motto is "Je me souviens," which means which means I mean, literally, it means "I remember," 
uh, but the way they use it, it basically means we won't forget. It means I have a grudge. Basically. Yeah, we won't forget either your villainy or their villainy or any all of the ways in which we have been mistreated. Do you think Canada numbers, do they just number the First Nation or is it like First oh, Nations? And then Second Nations. Second Nations, us. Third Nations. French can No, the French were there before. So I think the French have have uh, the right to be thought of as the second nation. The French, you know, the, the original forest runners were there in like 1600, 1603. They were early, wow. early, early on uh, original explorers of that region. So no, they're, they're the second nation people. And, you know, je me souviens. I, I remember. <laughs> you do remember. I mean... I remember on their behalf. You're 400 years old. I'm remembering now. <laughs> in uh, 1833, uh, Saint-Martin and Beaumont, I didn't even try for a segue there, by the no, way. No, that's good. Just rolling, rolling, rolling <laughs> on the river. I guess, yeah, I hope listeners don't mind that I'm not really killing myself to be like, well, let's jump forward from the 1600s, <laughs> 233 years. I think it's understood that we are trying to cover this material and it's easy to get uh, sidetracked. I'm just an angry substitute teacher trying to get to the bottom of the <laughs> of the syllabus for the day so I can start the movie. Uh, he left for good in 1833 in a contretemps about money. Mm-hmm. He probably would have said it in a weird French-Canadian accent. <laughs> um, probably involving salt pork or something. I have no idea. And he never saw Beaumont again. He returned to the woods. And he never saw Beaumont again was a sequel to the original. <laughs> what shocked, uh, Dr. What shocked Dr. Beaumont. <laughs> That's the sad ending <laughs> to, to the things that shocked Dr. Beaumont. Um, they have, cause they do have a very intimate relationship when sure. you think about it. always sticking your finger into some other guy's midsection. As he intimate would, as it comes. He would often take his finger out and taste it. No. He would put take the food out and taste it? No. Well, there wasn't lab tests for a lot of this stuff. You know, oh. you here's how you diagnose diabetes in the 1830s. You would take a swig of pee and see if it tasted sweet. Oh. So, you know, that's how he would report his findings. He would pull out a piece of chicken from the dude's stomach and take a bite and be like, this is uh, bland but sweet, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so Beaumont not only saved the man's life, but is like parasitically feeding off of him. Yeah, literally. (laughs) I don't know if there's a romantic angle here to get into or not, but yeah, like he's a guinea pig in the, in every sense of the word, you know, as far as the kind of dignities that have been stripped away from him. And I'm sure that isn't informs why he left and why he didn't come back. Um, He was still in demand, even out of Beaumont's thrall. Because at this point, Beaumont has published his findings. Beaumont published his 240 experiments, which did not sell that well. I, I read in, uh, I think it's in Mary Roach's book about this, that he was constantly haranguing f- military and governmental friends. Hey, do you want to buy a hundred copies of my book, uh, Experiments Upon the Gastrointestinal Regions or, or whatever it was called? Um, but it was not a hit. Right. He would always be forcing it on friends and they'd be like, thank you so much for your gift. I, I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> Although <laughs> like gastroenterology is a major part of, of contemporary medicine because people suffer from all kinds of maladies. Yeah. Although uh, I think Roach also points this out that 
he may not have discovered all that much. Oh, right. Despite his decades of experiments. He's he, just goofing around with uh, he's just digestion, and meanwhile, people are dying of Crohn's disease, and he's not doing a thing. Yeah, like he's not telling anybody to drop gluten. Oh, because he didn't, uh, he didn't take this Saint Martin thing and be, and specialize in gastroenterology with other people. He just had this one <laughs> patient that he just m messed around with. Well, a lot of his findings were not new. I, there are Italian scientists that had already done this with like animal stomachs. You know, uh, you could perforate a sheep's stomach and dip stuff in right. and see the progress of digestion over time. The sheep just wouldn't live for 20 more years. So digestion was understood pretty well. I see. Um, this was just some super creepy Ed Gein style early <laughs> Dahmer situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like come into the house, Alexi. <laughs> we, we all float in here. He never seems to have discovered the role of enzymes, for example. Uh, uh, he was obsessed with gastric juices because acid was something you could, you know, a, a physical process that a, somebody without a, without a microscope or lab tests could watch at work. But he never really understood that most digestion actually happens, we now know, in the small intestine. It involves enzymes like pepsin. Um, the main purpose of gastric acid, we now understand, you know, we all have, this is going to gross out future links who have much more efficient systems. But the reason why we have this incredibly strong hydrochloric acid, you know, just inches from our throats is mostly as an immune measure. I guess it helps kill bacteria entering the body. Oh, like that's what helps keep you safe from whatever's in your drinking water. So, but enzymes were discovered contemporaneously, right? I mean, this is about the same era that enzymes were discovered, yeah. just not by our man. Beaumont's not doing that work. Huh. He's just sticking chicken in a hole. <laughs> Which was not a euphemism at the time. So it was a total, he could totally say that at parties. Sure. Chicken in a hole, <laughs> kicking out dough, right? <laughs> yeah, like as his debut rap single said, <laughs> make it rain gastric acid. But Saint-Martin had other con... He, he, so Saint-Martin became a celebrity through this book, mm -hmm. and he would occasionally get inquiries. In 1837, there were a bunch of American vegetarians that wanted to start sticking, uh, uh, apparently, carrots and celery sticks into him instead mm. to hopefully publicize their cause. A less fun fondue. <laughs> right. A more nutritional fondue. So he's a classic example of an author who became famous and no one actually read his book. <laughs> That's right. Let's hope that's not true of you and your new book that's coming out soon. <laughs> well, you know, maybe the subjects of my book, the, the comedy writers I write about, will we'll get the, the fame like Sam Martin. And they I'd are just as that. appealing to me as, as a carrot dipped in gastric juices. <laughs> that's actually true if you've been in a lot of writers' rooms. In 1840, he even got a call from London. People, uh, a group of London doctors wanted him to come stand on a stage and show off his whole... Um, <laughs> like we... <laughs> We talked about the mummy parties, right? Where scientists would unwrap a mummy in some kind of quasi-sexual way while women fanned themselves. Right. And I think this was the same kind of thing. You know, stand on a stage at the Odeon and uh, and we're going to stick chicken in you. Wow. What a weird life, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there were so many of that kind of like come see the world's tallest woman sort of, I guess, what they called freak shows. But this, he he was a standalone he didn't need a snake eater there with him. He he was fascinating enough on his own. Right. But imagine how that must feel to just feel like your whole body is just a, a an appendage to your left nipple anus. You know, like, what about me? What about my feelings, yeah. Dr. Beaumont? You know, no. like, my eyes are up here, you know. <laughs> not, not under my left nipple. In 1853... 
Beaumont died, he slipped on some icy steps. Oh no, he met a, an inglorious end unconnected to his wound? This was Beaumont. This oh, was the oh, doctor. Beaumont, 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 sorry. Yeah, so I guess you're right. There is some some cosmic justice there. The kind of, you know, if anybody can navigate a set of icy steps, it's a Canadian voyageur. Right. So Saint Martin could have, you know, would have easily saved himself, but Beaumont, Beaumont took and a died. fatal spill and, and later died from his injuries. Saint Martin died years later. Oh, he survived Beaumont. Good man. Yeah. And apparently still had quite a bit of animus. He, uh, the instructions left by his family were that his body not be buried until it was rotting and that he be placed in an unmarked grave because they were afraid of medical men, of grave robbers that would try to continue their experiments posthumously on poor Alexi. Oh, right. This was the era when, uh, if you were a famous person, your organs would be pickled and put in jars and put on display. And doctors couldn't get cadavers, so they were always hiring Scottish thugs to go dig them up. If you were a Scotsman at this period, you had you were set for life because you could just go dig up bodies. They were called resurrection men. Oh, we're going to get letters from Scotsmen. <laughs> they know. <laughs> As a Welshman, you know, we were also treated, treated poorly. The Scots know about their legacy of... Uh, Grave robbing. Of mausoleum-related <laughs> crime and infamy. <laughs> so he died, and his, his relatives would rather that he lay in state until he's decomposing rather than... Rather than risk having put him in the ground where they couldn't keep an eye on him wow. and his whole... There's even a record of them sending a telegram that reads, Don't come for autopsy. We'll be killed. Yeah. That's how they settle their hash oh up in North Canada. I have a new signature for my emails. <laughs> but these, uh, this is kind of an ongoing issue we have with uh, grappling with medical ethics from the past. I don't, have you been following this story this week about the father of, not of gastroenterology, but of modern gynecology, J. Marion Sims? Hmm. He was a just an incredibly influential gynecologist whose work with fistulae, it all comes back to fistulae, saved so many lives. But this week, a statue of him was removed from Central Park. I say this week, but thousands of years in your past. Yes. After standing for a century or more, the statue was removed because he did all of his experiments on African-American slaves, often without anesthesia. Uh -huh. Even though ether existed at the time. Why um, waste it? <laughs> well, there was some discussion of how widely used ether was. Some people used it, some people did not. It took a while for it to catch on. Doctors are, you know, set in their ways. But there also was this belief at the time that uh, black people, people of other races, were did not feel pain in the same refined way that the the nobler races did. Sure, a, a a white woman could be taken overcome with a case of the vapors, <laughs> right, and probably be given as much ether as she could handle. But, you know, you have a black slave and can cut right into right, them and he would just leave sponges in people and they would die of uh, sepsis, sepsis. And eventually this all worked and he did discover how to heal these fistulae, but with a trail of unanesthetized bodies. Sure. It's, in a, his it's a Mengelian situation like uh, Joseph Mengele, who did interesting experiments in the, in the course of murdering Jewish children. During the Holocaust. And Sims is an interesting case because I'm not aware of any kind of uh, medical techniques that we owe to Dr. Mengele. You know, I, I'd never gone into the hospital for a Mengele tonsillitis. Well, sure, but that was because by that point in time, 
I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend the the experiments of Joseph Mengele, but that they were suppressed. I mean, it's not like you could ever refer to his work. You know, you couldn't refer to one of his papers as part of, you know, doing experiments on how cold affects your circulatory system. Yeah, I mean, nobody would want that treatment. Like that's, that's something I always ask my doctor. Did Dr. Mengele ever try this procedure? Can we rule out Mengele experiments here? Yeah. You're right. Can. But we know that Dr. Sims really did manage to figure out the procedure that would solve this fistula that, you know, killed so many women after childbirth. Right. Or led to a long life of embarrassing incontinence and, uh, and dangerous infection. But just by using actual human beings as, as lab animals. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, I concur with taking his stature down. You agree. No one asked for my opinion, but it seems like as we, as we remove statues from our public sphere, because it's revealed that they were, as we, as we gauge the crimes of our forebears relative to our current standards, I think that qualifies as reason enough to remove a statue. Right. And even by apparently the standards of his time, if other doctors were happily using diethyl ether and he was just like, nah, why bother? I mean, I think we still benefit from the science, but let's not have a statue in Central Park. Let's put up statues of the, uh, the recipients, you know, let's, let's have Dr. Take down Dr. Sims and put up his, the slave woman, Anarcha, who had to get carved up 14 times so he could refine his fistula technique. And let's put up a statue of, uh, of Saint Martin. Of Saint Martin, and the it should be in the gift shop in at Mackinac Island. You know, <laughs> I guess the problem is people would just be tempted to to shoot it full of buckshot. Well, or stick their finger in it. <laughs> That's right. And that concludes the Saint Martin fistula, entry one two two seven dot pr two zero two seven. Certificate number 42453 in the Omnibus. Listeners, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, please send all your angry tweets to at Ken Jennings on Twitter. And uh, that's only for the Scots. Yeah. The Quebecois should send their complaints to at Send them to Ken, let him filter. The, only send me the good ones. <laughs> uh, we have. Uh, Omnibus Project Instagrams and Twitters and uh, Facebookers, Facebooks. Yeah, we're willing to compromise our our ethical standards and embrace these terrible social media platforms. If yeah, it, if it helps create a some kind of record of our progress. Like a lot of uh, mealy-mouthed contemporary people, we both angrily denounce and also socially eschew, but still maintain social media accounts. Well, we're from comfortable Seattle, where the local sport is maintaining these high-minded principles until they inconvenience you in any slight way. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, you quietly abandon them in favor of whatever is expedient and even slightly beneficial to yourself. Sure. That's, yeah. you know, nobody wants low-income housing. Come on. <laughs> not in their neighborhood. Well, they do want it. Yeah, sure. Not, uh, not within a three-mile radius of, of my free parking spot. Yeah, low-income housing would be great if it happened in the desert somewhere where you never had to see it. Uh, under copper pyramids. That's expensive. Copper's expensive. If you've ever ripped out the walls of a house, a la Jesus' son. No, I believe in a housing-first solution whereby yep. uh, homeless people get... Homes. Wheatgrass enemas <laughs> under tents in Sedona. 
Uh, so you're talking about a wheatgrass first solution. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's really wheatgrass first. But, yeah. but housing like in the top two or three. Um, you can see my Instagram, uh, which is super fascinating and always entertaining, at John Roderick. And you can sometimes see Ken comment hilariously on my posts from his anonymous account, at Ken Jennings. He doesn't even have an avatar. He just lurks. It might be at Ken W. Jennings, and I don't even know. Ken W. What does the W stand well, for? Well, Ken Jennings was taken. The W is for... Windsor? Wisdom. <laughs> I was named for my older brother, Wisdom Jennings. Who died. Who died while my mother was in labor with me. Yeah, right. He was your twin. He was your dead twin right. that you absorbed. I absorbed, <laughs> I absorbed my twin brother, Wisdom, <laughs> who my parents had already named yeah, for some reason. Sure. They named him first. Like uh, like Elvis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like that. And they had pinned all their hopes on Wisdom. Well, you, when you were born, they were like, oh, which one died? Wisdom. <laughs> the wrong son died. <laughs> if only Ken had died. Uh, you can email us um, at the email address omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com and we will answer you. If we can get through the intervening millennia somehow. Well, and all the, well, yeah, that's right. If we, as future pasts, um, we will definitely go on there, wade through all the angry emails from Scots and Quebec, Quebecers. It's easy for us to leave messages for them. You know, we can right. just carve something on a rock and bury it. Right. Them getting the email to us is the hard part, and we appreciate it if you make that effort. But that's lines. their problem, not ours. They have the they have the technology. We hope. Also, as long as Facebook survives as a media, a medium. I'm I'm just doing that to irritate that one guy that keeps yelling at me about the tenses of my Latin. That time you said the data is <laughs> is what pushed him over the edge, yeah. and he's now driving here it's in like, a car to murder datum, you. It's datum. It's datum. Uh, we have a fan group there called Futurelings on Facebook. The Omnibus Futurelings. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this civilization is going to survive. We have no illusions that it's permanent, however. We hope and pray that the eschatological crisis that will end our times will never come. Uh, if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. And I'd be okay with that. It was a good one. Mm -hmm. Solid entry. Solid entry into some dude's plural. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.